Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, Pastor Mike, is, he, he's uh, on a little vacation now with his family, so just pray, pray for them, uh, for travel mercies, for, um, for safe passage, and, and, and for the pastor's conference coming up starting tomorrow. So just a good time of, of fellowshipping and, and, and good word. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And so this is actually something that we're actually going through with, with the youth group. And, you know, it's just, to me, it's just some, some really good meat. And so I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed, uh, I'm gonna feed the, the congregation this as well. Um, some really good stuff here. So let's pray again, and then we'll get reading. Father God, we just come before you, and we just thank you again, Lord, just for, for your grace and your mercy that you that we so undeservingly receive from you every day, Lord, that you give to us willingly. Lord, and we want to just honor you, and we want to praise you, we want to thank you for that, Lord. And as we read your word right now, Lord, as Paul is speaking to the church of, of Corinth, Lord, he's speaking to us as well, Father God. I pray that we would receive this word, Lord, that we would live it out, and that we would use it in our everyday lives, Father God. Lord, you have called us to something so much more, and so I pray that you would just use this time, Father God, well, now, as we were just worshiping in this last song, Lord, may you just be our wisdom, Father God, that these words wouldn't be mine, but that they would be yours to, to your children, Father God, to your church. So just hide me behind your cross right now, Father God. Just bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read the whole chapter of uh, chapter 4. It says, So let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Verse 3, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord." Verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to the light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Verse 6, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Verse 7, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Verse 8, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Verse 11, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. 
For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Verse 17, for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of the ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in the church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power, for the kingdom of God is not in the word, but in power. Verse 21, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a, with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So obviously, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth, which he himself planted. Now, if you don't know about the city of Corinth, it was a very messed up city. It was like the biblical day Vegas. You know, you had harlotry, prostitution. You had different religions coming from all over the world. And Paul decides he's, he, he's led by the Lord to plant a church here. A heck of a place to, to plant a church, right? And so he is hearing these things about the church that he has planted on just some of the messed up things going on there. And so he's writing this letter. And in this chapter, he is giving the church some, some parental rebuke. You know, and I think a lot of times we, we need that. You know, as parents, you guys know, I'm not a parent yet, but I have some. And me being messed up, <laughs> messed up when I was little, um, I got a lot of rebuke growing up. I got smacked in the head a lot. I got spanked, timeouts, you name it. But I, I praise the Lord that I had that rebuke, that my parents straightened me out and told me what I did wrong so that, I can, so that they can correct me the right way. It took a while, but it, it happened, praise the Lord. And so Paul, he's talking to this church. And so let's go back in verses 1 and 2. And he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So Paul starts off with talking about the apostles and talking about leadership in the church. And he as asking the church, because there's a lot of pride in this church, as we're going to read. There's a lot of, of cockiness, thinking that they're just so much better. And so Paul is asking that this church, that they regard the other apostles uh, as servants. Because you know, Paul had a, po- a problem with the Koreans, and they tended to look down on, on him and not respect his authority, not respect the apostles' authority that was given to them rightfully by God. And God is going to speak to them about how to think of the other apostles in a manner that's not disrespectful, but also it's not glorifying to them as well. You know, and the same thing is true of, of what um, we should think of, of leaders in the church also. He's, he's, he's trying to give an example of, we need to remember that, yes, they are leaders in the church. Pastor Mike, yes, he is a leader in the church. But they're also called to be the greatest servants in this church. I can remember a time, my dad, he's the assistant pastor back at my home church in in California, the church that I grew up in, I should say. This is my home church. But I can remember a time when he was still called, even though he was the assistant pastor, 
He was still called to, to clean bathrooms and, and to scrub floors and to vacuum and to, and to straighten out chairs, so on and so forth. You know, and Mike requires that of, of, of a lot of the leaders in this church and him himself. You know, and that's how Paul is wanting this church to view the apostles, not as just some lowly servants who, who are just good for nothing, that they, they're, they're nothing more than wiping mud off of people's shoes or washing their feet. No, they're called by God to, yes, to lead, but to be the greatest of servants as well. But not only does he call them to, to be servants, but he calls them to be stewards also. Now, if you don't know what a steward is, the steward was still technically a slave. He was under the head of the household, but he was the leader of the slaves, if that makes sense. Here's what um, a commentator by the name of Clark says. He says, a steward was the master's deputy in regulating the concerns of family, providing food for the household, seeing it served out at proper times and seasons and in proper quantities. He received all the cash, expended what was necessary for the support of the family, and kept exact accounts for which he was obliged at certain times to lay before the master. So basically in plain English, he was in charge of the finances. He was in charge of providing food for the household. He was in charge of making sure that things got done in the house. And so we have our God, who is our master, who is the head of the church of our house. Correct? And then we have men like Pastor Mike. We have leaders in the church who are called to watch over the church in this world. You know, we are servants of, of the Lord. We are slaves to the Lord. But he still calls us to lead his people, just as a steward is called to lead the master's household when he is not there. And so just as we see in this first verse, what Paul is asking the church of Corinth to view the apostles as servants, he asks them to view them as stewards as well. But in a way, there's still more. In verse 2, he says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. They require faithfulness, you guys. And just so you know, this is the definition of faithful. It means steadfast in affection or allegiance, loyal, firm in adherence to promises or in observance of duty, true to the facts, to a standard or to an original. So obviously, you're not just going to find some schmo in the street and say, hey, you want to take care of my house for me? And then you come back and the house is empty. No, you want someone who you trust, who you know is going to take care of your house. Just as the Lord is trusting Pastor Mike, myself, Zayden, other leaders in the church to lead their congregation right, to lead his household right. And so Paul is asking, they are servants, but view them as your leaders as well. They want the best for you. And that's how leaders and pastors are to be. To not lead the flock astray, to not lead the church astray, but to lead them the right way. And then Paul goes on, and we're going to read in verses 3 through 5. It says, but with me, it is a very small thing. 
that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. So like I was saying, there is a lot of pride in this church. And they viewed themselves as so much more, so much higher than these apostles and than even Paul himself who planted the church. And so Paul, he's going to talk about their pride and their judgment towards him. And Paul's insisting that, that their judgment on him mattered very little. Because ultimately, it is what God says, it's, what, it's how God judges that's important. Because he says, he who judges me is the Lord. You know, and should we have that same attitude? Should every Christian have that same attitude? You know, should we have little or no regard for, for what other brothers and sisters think about us? And just, you know, kind of like, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. I don't care what you say. Yes, you know, that is true. Yes, that, that God can only judge us righteously. He's the only one that is righteous enough, that is pure enough to judge us. Yes. But who's to say that God cannot use a brother or a sister to, to rebuke us, to straighten us out? You know, me and Pastor Mike and a few other men, uh, we, we meet up every Wednesday night. And a lot of times, you know, when we're slipping up, you know, we get, we get rebuke from Mike. Right, Matt? <laughs> you know, we get smacked around in there a little bit. But you know what? We need that. God calls us to rebuke one another, but do it in a loving and righteous way. You know, because we can't rebuke ourselves. Because even our, our expectation, our estimation of ourselves is usually wrong. We're either too soft on each other, on ourselves, or we are too hard on each other, on, our, on ourselves. You know, and Paul recognizes this. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. And so Paul, he will never put judgment even on himself, let alone his brothers and sisters. He says, he who judges me is the Lord. In the end, that is all the judgment that matters. You know, God is the only one who will ever be pure enough, who will ever be righteous enough to justly judge us. And he says in verse 4, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. You know, Paul recognizes that he's not innocent. None of us are. Just because we have a clear conscience, just because we have no guilt in our life, does not mean that we are innocent at all, not even close. We should know, just as Paul knew, that his righteousness comes from God, comes from Jesus Christ. Not from our personal life, not from, not from helping an old lady across the street or picking up trash on the side of the road. Because our works are nothing without the righteousness of God. And even though God, Paul had a godly walk, he still recognized that. And a lot of times we get so self-righteous, just as this church was doing. 
thinking that we are so perfect, that we are so above everyone else, that we help out with charity more than anyone else, so we're a way better person. That because I teach you guys, oh, I'm way better than you guys. No. But then we mess up. Something happens, and then we want to blame everything else. But we need to remember that anything that's good comes from, that comes from through us is not us, but that all the glory should go to who? To Jesus Christ, to God. Because let's be honest, we are naturally evil and corrupt and sinners. And we deserve hell, plain and simple. Our goodness only comes from the Lord, and the Lord only, you guys. And then he says in verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. You know, we can get so caught up in looking at others and seeing everything that they do wrong, right? <gasps> Did you see so-and-so yesterday? They were in that store and they are looking at a certain movie. They were, oh my gosh, can you believe that? But then we watch something just as bad and we just completely ignore it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, it says this, says, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, we always want to judge everyone by their actions, but we only want to judge ourselves by our intentions. And I'm sure you've heard that from Pastor Mike a thousand and one times. I know I have. We see someone mess up and fall hard and we judge them. But then we do the same thing and we don't want to be judged the same way. Right? And when Jesus judges, it will be according to the motive of the heart, not of the outward action. And that's another reason why, why human judgment is, is always wrong. And why Paul just shrugs it off. The, the judgment of the Corinthians. Because he knows what's going on in that church. And yet they're still trying to judge him for things that they think he's doing wrong. And he says, each one's praise will come from God. Paul knew he had little praise from the Corinthian church. But that didn't concern him. You know, he knew that there was a day coming when, when our praise wouldn't come from man, but it will come from God. And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And as, and as pastors and as leaders and as Christians in general, we shouldn't do things for praise. We shouldn't do things to earn brownie points. Our heart behind it should be to honor and glorify the Lord because that is why 
we were able to even be here. Verse 6 says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. You know, in the first few verses of the chapter, Paul spoke about the apostles being, being servants and stewards. You know, and he means it in a spiritual way so that the Corinthians would learn a more proper way to see the apostles. You know, and, and Paul's hoping that his writing will help the Corinthians learn to keep their thinking biblical because they're not. They are so flesh fleshly right now. They're so concerned with how they are viewed in the world that they forget to be concerned with what's more important, which is how they are viewed by the Lord, by their brothers and sisters. And they're using standards that's something that's not of the word of God to, to judge You know, I think a lot of times today in this church, not in this church in general, in, in, in this building, but just in general, we get so caught up with, with how a pastor dresses, what kind of car he drives, how he looks. Oh, well, this pastor is way more funnier than this pastor, so I like this pastor better. Oh, well, he dresses in a three-piece suit. This guy just dresses in a, in a regular button-up shirt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this guy's church. I like his voice better than his voice. I don't fall asleep. I'm guilty. I've thought that way. But Paul is encouraging them to think beyond what is written. Which is the Lord. Be Christ-minded. Be more worried about what he is speaking rather than how he looks like or what kind of car he drives. And he says that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the others. When the Corinthians used unbiblical standards, you guys, when they used something that wasn't Christ-centered to judge the apostles, they could easily like one and hate the other based on their worldly standards. And we do that sometimes. Oh, well, I like this pastor more than this pastor because of my own standards. What about the Lord's standards? Does that not matter? Does the word of God being spoken not matter? But rather how he says it than what he says? In 1 Corinthians, just a chapter back in chapter three, verse four, it says, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? This church had a problem with pride, but it also had a problem with cliques. Let's read in verse 7. It says, For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? 
the puffed up state, you ever go to the gym and you see that one guy just sitting there like, just walking around? So that's puffed up. And that's what these Corinthians thought they were in the spiritual sense. They thought they were all that. So there was a serious pride problem here, you guys. And their pride was evident in all the different types of groups and cliques that was going around. Oh, well, like the verse said, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Pastor Mike, or I am of JJ. You know, there was cliques. And the cliques weren't so much of the problem as the pride was the problem. And so Paul asked them three questions. He says, what makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you indeed received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And those questions were said to to make them think, to make them check their hearts. Do you truly give God the credit for your salvation? That salvation was a gift. There was an ultimate price paid for that salvation. And yet you act as though you did it yourself. Do you live with a spirit of humble gratitude? Do you thank God every day for that salvation? Because every day we sin more and more. We prove that we deserve hell more and more every day. Let's be honest. And yet God gives us his grace and mercy every day. Everything that you receive for God, what are you giving back to him? Just a little bit? Everything that we have comes from the Lord and everything that we do should be for the Lord to his glory in some way, shape, or form. And that's what Paul is trying to make them think, to check their hearts. Let's read verses 8 through 11. It says, You are already full, and you are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. So I don't know if you can tell here, but Paul is actually using some sarcasm here. Basically, he's saying, you know, like, wow, you guys just seem to have it all right, don't you? It's funny how we apostles are, are so lowly, have rags for clothes, are bouncing from town to town without any homes, shelters. And, it, and his purpose for this, this sarcasm is it, it's not to make fun of them. You know, he wants to, he wants to get them out of their, their proud thinking. Like I said, there's a lot of pride in this church. In verse 9, he says, For I think that God has displayed us the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we, having made a spectacle to the world, 
both to angels and to men. So instead of being a fool and, and rich, having the best clothes, the best sandals in those days, the best horses. The apostles were displayed as a humiliating spectacle to the world. And that was okay. Because they didn't need that glory. They didn't want that glory. They didn't want that praise. The Corinthians did. They looked at themselves so highly while God displayed the apostles so low. And we as Christians, we shouldn't be looking for praise or glory, right? Zayden doesn't do worship for praise and glory so he can show off how good he plays guitar or how well he sings. No, he does it for the glory of God. Pastor Mike doesn't come up here every Sunday and Wednesday and speak the word of God just to say, wow, you're an amazing speaker. I love the way you speak. No. It is all for the glory of God. And it's nothing that we do. It's everything that the Lord does. And then Paul continues with the sarcasm. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. So with example after example, Paul is sarcastically showing how foolish it is for the Corinthians to think of themselves that they're that they're so much more spiritually privileged or blessed or ordained than the apostles were. The apostles did it to bring glory to the God and to the kingdom. You know, today the church can be really heavy, can be really soaked with that same attitude of the Corinthian church, that they're concerned about worldly success. You know, and the church despised Paul and the other apostles because they didn't display that image of worldly success. You know, today there's no shortage of pastors, of of leaders in the church, so-called pastors and leaders, who who want to display the the success that they have. You know, the pastor that drives um, a Rolls Royce in the church and and wears a a Versace suit and has Gucci shoes and, and the nice things. And, well, wow, he must be a great pastor. He has all these nice things. And I'm not saying that stuff is wrong. If the Lord has blessed you with that, praise God. That's awesome. But where's their heart? Why do they do that? Why do they do the things that they do? Why was the church of Corinth doing the things that they did? Pride. Worldly success. And then they die, and where does it all go? Someone else. And then they die, and it goes somewhere else. And things of this world pass away. The success that we have in this world will be forgotten. 
the things that we do for the Lord, that's forever. That's eternal. Let's read verses 12 and 13. It says, And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. The Corinthians, you guys, they loved, they had a love for Greek wisdom. You know, and they embraced that the Greek, the, the Greek idea was that manual labor was fitting for slaves. It wasn't fitting for someone higher up. And it would offend them that one of the God's apostles, that's what they thought, would actually work and labor with his own hands. He says, being defamed, we entreat. Paul's saying that when they were slandered, when they were yelled at, when they were made fun of, the apostle would still reach out in love and compassion to those who spoke against him, just as Jesus did. This was also, by the way, an offense to the Greek ideals. That if a man, that man was a wimp, if he didn't fight back when, 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 when someone was coming at him with something. So they viewed Paul as a slave and as a wimp. And then he says the offscoring of all things. Some ancient Greeks, they had a custom, you guys. What they would do is they would cast worthless people that they would deem worthless into the sea during a time of plague or famine. And they would say it, be our offscoring. And those victims, they were called scrapings. Scrapings. And that was a belief that they would wipe away the guilt of the, of the community. And that's how they viewed Paul. as a scraping, as a, as a plague, as a disease. And yet Paul is still coming at them, trying to help them correct them with love. He was despised. I mean, if you think about it, think about Paul's, you know, spiritual, what's called a spiritual resume. He bounced from church to church. He was ran out of many towns. He would be accused of of starting fights and riots. He was rarely supported by the ministry. He was arrested and imprisoned several several times. Now, if you heard that that from a resume from from a pastor trying to be hired at a church or trying trying to start a church, would you go to that pastor? Think about it. God was arrested multiple times. He was ran out of houses, out of towns. He was beaten, accused of, of crimes. I wouldn't, that sounds like a horrible resume. And that's how the Corinthians viewed that. But we know, obviously, why and what Paul did. You know, our problem is that we often want um, the best of both worlds. We want, we want the popularity, the, the, the mega churches. 
the nice cars, the good reputation for being one of the best speakers in, in all the world of the Bible. But then we still want the anointing of God as well. They want, they want the power, but without any cost. Paul's way, he gave up everything so that he can serve the Lord. So that he can, can help people like these, the, the Corinthians. There's a cost to serving the Lord, you guys. But the reward is so much greater than the cost ever will be. Verses 14 through 17, it says this. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son of the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in the church. So now Paul is telling the church, you know, he starts, he starts doing the parenting thing. I didn't come out here to yell at you. I didn't, I didn't write this letter to yell at you or to embarrass you or to, to put you to shame. He's not going around the church and, and saying, you know, oh, you suck and, and you suck and you suck. Oh, gosh, I don't want to look at you. Of course not. He's coming at them with a, with a parental love. You know, those of you who are parents, when you discipline your kids, you don't do it with the intention of embarrassing them or of hurting them, right? Of course not. You do it out of love because you care for them. Because you don't want them to make those same mistakes again. Because you don't want them to hurt themselves again. You don't want them to make the same mistakes that you did when you were their age. And Paul's viewing this church in a parental way, with parental love. The way God views and, and shows his love with us. And Paul gives him a solution. He says in verse 16, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. He says, imitate me. Now remember how they think of Paul, how, as we just talked about. The church despised him. They thought of him as a scraping, as a disease. And yet, and they could not stand him. So for Paul to say, to imitate him? <gasps> what? They scoff at it. They laugh at it. Why would we ever imitate you? And then let's read. Let's go on. We're going to close out in verses 18 through 21. It says, Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in the word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and spiritual, spiritual gentleness? And so we see in this passage, closing passage, that the Corinthians, obviously they viewed themselves highly. They were puffed up. And they were so proud to the point where they thought Paul would never show his face there. 
that he was too afraid to go out of this church. So, call, so Paul calls that. He says, but I will come to you shortly if it is the Lord's will. He says, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but of the power. You know, those, those people in the Christian church, they loved hearing themselves talk. how successful they, they made themselves seem. But Paul says, said not, he said, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power, which is the power of the gospel, the power of God. We have no power. The words that I speak have no power unless it is ordained by the Lord. They got so caught up in how good they sounded, how good they looked, and how they said things, how much, how much they made people laugh, how attractive they made themselves seem, that they don't even care about the power in the word of God. They're doing it for all the wrong reasons. And isn't that the truth of some of the church today? Let's be honest. We want, to dress, we want to dress the nicest we can so that people are like, oh, wow, he dresses great. We want to make people laugh. So, oh, he's hilarious. I, he's entertaining. I love to hear him talk. And that's what these Corinthians were looking at, not of what they were teaching, but how they were teaching it. And then Paul ends it, and he throws the ball in their court. He says, what do you want? Verse 21. Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness. I'll take the gentleness, please. If you guys don't know what a rod is, a rod is basically just, a, a, it's a staff. And it was, a used, it was used by a shepherd. And they would use it to, to herd their sheep. And when, a, and when a sheep would get out of line, or they would stray, out of the, stray away, they would basically smack them with it and get them back into the herd, get them back in line. And a lot of times, you guys, we fall astray. And sometimes we have to get smacked by the Lord in order for us to realize how far off we've gone, how far away that we've strayed from the Lord. But praise to God, that he is always there to lead us back to where he wants us. You know, we have a father who loves and cares for us enough to let us know when we're doing something wrong and then leads us back with love. A father who delivered us from death and from sin and then leads us every day with his light and his righteousness, his grace and his mercy. No one said it was easy being a Christian. If it was easy, everyone would do it. You know, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's hard. Because sometimes the Lord has to smack us in the back of the head. You know, but he is always there, you guys. Just like Paul was there for the church of Corinth, the Lord is always there to lead you back. Praise God that he is a loving father that will do that for us whenever we need it. Let's pray.
Lord, we just come before you and we thank you, God, so much for that love that you will never cease to give. And Lord, we don't deserve it. So many times we, we spit in your face, Father God. We desecrate your name. And yet you still call us to come to you with arms open wide, Father God. You say, come to me, my child. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that we would accept correction, just as Paul is trying to correct this church, that we would accept that rebuke and that we would use it, that we would learn from it, Father God. Because you call us to something so much more than the standards of this, this world, this evil. And we thank you that you are there to, to, to use people in our lives, Father God, brothers and sisters, to help us. And that you yourself are the one doing it all. And may we just remember that as we do works for you, that it's all you and it's not us. So be on and glorified today, Father God. Keep everyone safe. Lord, we thank you so much. Be on and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.